Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs or you want more information about the type of training or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Chris Gavilio. Hi everyone and welcome back to BFR Radio. Thanks for joining in. Small little update on things before I get into today's paper review. Firstly is that I'll be at the Australian Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association annual conference on the Gold Coast. I'll be having a small stand there with my BFR cuffs so you can come along, check it out, see what it's all about if you've never experienced it before. If you have, just come up and have a chat. It'd be great to connect with you. At that conference, I'm also going to debut my first bit of strength equipment that I've actually designed. And I'm pretty sure this actually doesn't exist on the market today. Very excited. It's made by a local company, very good gymnasium manufacturing company. So I'm very proud of this product. I've been testing the prototype and it's been received really well. So proud of this. Come and check it out. And I'm going to leave it to be a little secret until it gets debuted at the conference. My BFR workshops... I had the Sydney one a couple of weeks ago, went well at Athletes Authority, thanks to those who came along. And in a few weeks' time at the end of November, I've got my Brisbane workshop based out at Cricket Australia. Tickets online at Eventbrite, really great to see you there. Limited 15 only, so I make sure that you get a really good experience with the workshop. Plenty of theory, but plenty of good practice. On to today's article. This was actually, no pun intended, but stimulated by a recent post by a colleague out of Athletes Authority who were using a combination of EMS and also BFR in the early stages of ACL rehab. And it reminded me of a paper I read a little while ago, and it's actually called The Effects of Blood Flow Restricted Electrostimulation on Strength and Hypertrophy. This was appeared in the Journal of Sports Rehabilitation, The basis behind this paper is around that preservation and promotion of skeletal muscle mass and strength. Whether you're an athlete or a non-athlete, being able to preserve that is really important in an aging population. It contributes to one's quality of life. To an athlete in that early post-op or post-injury stage, being able to maintain muscle mass is really important to gaining full function back as quickly as possible. To maintain this muscle mass, normally we have to lift high loads. And in aging populations, but more so in the injured athletes or the injured populations, this just isn't possible. And as I always allude to, and as we all know in the world of BFR, lifting at really low loads of anywhere between body weight to 20 to 30% of 1RM has actually been shown to help improve muscle mass and strength. Another concept here is around neuromuscular electrical stimulation or EMS. I'm just going to use that acronym throughout this whole paper review. In the strength conditioning world, products such as PowerDot and also Compex is probably our most well-known product out there, uses an electrical current applied through the skin to evoke muscle contractions. The major limitation of using EMS for stimulating strength and hypertrophy is that the degree of adaptation is directly correlated with the electrical current intensity. So you need a greater intensity to lead to stronger contractions to get the necessary resulting improvements in strength and hypertrophy. As you can imagine, this could be potentially uncomfortable and also painful. So therefore, in certain populations, and especially just after an operation or an injury, this is actually quite prohibitive because it's just not possible. Therefore, the authors of this paper thought that, well, why can't you combine the two? Use the advantages of blood flow restriction 
with a slightly lower intensity of the EMS. Therefore, the aim of the study was to examine if combining BFR with EMS was effective for improving muscle strength and mass. The second aim was to see if individual components of BFR and EMS were tested against combined stimuluses and a control. Their hypothesis was that the combination of BFR and EMS together will lead to a greater muscular strength and muscle mass gain than either of the interventions in isolation. With respect to design, it's actually quite interesting. So just listen carefully here. The subjects had each leg randomly assigned to one of four possible interventions in which dominant, non-dominant legs were counterbalanced amongst the groups. Therefore, for each two-legged individual, his or her leg was randomized into one intervention group while his or her other leg was randomized into another. The intervention groups were, firstly, a combined EMS and BFR, secondly, EMS by itself, thirdly, BFR by itself, and fourthly, control. Each of the subject's legs were exposed to their respective experimental condition in the lab four days per week for a total of six weeks, where each session lasted about 32 minutes. There was 20 participants, 10 males and 10 females, and they were randomly assigned to two or four possible intervention groups as described before. And these participants actually had athletic backgrounds, although at the time they weren't in a competitive season. Onto the procedures with respect to the BFR intervention group, they used an automated tourniquet system where periodic inflation to 220 millimeters of mercury was used. This session comprised of three cycles of four minutes of inflation and four minutes of deflation or ischemic preconditioning. Four minutes on, four minutes off. In this here, a cuff pressure of 220 mils was employed to ensure an effective restriction of blood flow. Myself, I employ a percentage of arterial occlusion. Typically with a wider cuff, I'll go of around 10 centimeters, minor 10 centimeters, I'll go around 50% of arterial occlusion. With respect to EMS stimulation, it was applied to the quadriceps. Two electrodes were placed on the vastus lateralis and the vastus medialis at a distal and proximal position that best elicited a muscle contraction. With respect to the stimulation, it was delivered at a maximal tolerable intensity amplitude for the individual. That seems to be a really important thing with EMS training that needs to be as intense as the participant can actually tolerate it for it to be effective. And that's been pretty consistent with lots of other studies. And just confirming here that the combination condition employed both modalities simultaneously, therefore meant that they used the EMS system and obviously the control condition used neither. To assess the efficacy of these four different interventions on the quadriceps, muscle strength and hypertrophy were measured at week zero and week six. From a procedure point of view, week one they came in, they had their isometric strength and muscle size assessment. From a schematic or a timeline viewpoint here, in respect to the design of the study, in week one they had isometric strength and muscle size assessment. Then they started their training intervention where they would train on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's four times a week. When you look at the cuff, they would inflate for four minutes, deflate for four minutes for a total of 32 minutes. When they had the combined stimulus or just the EMS by itself, what that would happen there is they had continuous stimulation at a maximal tolerable intensity. And the EMS was applied continuously for the entire training session. Therefore, for 32 minutes, they had a maximal tolerable contraction for that whole time. 
Muscle strength was measured using a leg extension where they used a strength gauge and they did three consecutive leg extensions where each extension lasted for a maximum of three seconds. And they had three seconds of relaxation. It was a custom-made machine here where the participants sat with a 90-degree hip angle and then knee at 45 degree knee flexion while the force in the kilograms was recorded using that strength gauge. Muscle mass was quantified in grams of tissue using a dual energy x-ray system and the muscle mass of the thigh was assessed between an upper and a lower margin and this was defined as the ischial tuberosity and the knee joint respectively. Onto the results. Which intervention was best? Was there hypothesis that the combination of using two interventions at the same time was that the best one. With respect to quadricep muscle strength, firstly, as their pre-measures, there was no differences between the group. That was a really good start. When they looked at their post-evaluation, the only differences was between the combination group of using both BFR, EMS, and the control, P was 0.02. That was their first hypothesis, met. The isolated BFR and the isolated EMS groups weren't significantly different from each other or any other group. Another thing that they tried to do here was look at the individual responses. And with respect to changes in strength, a responder was classified as an individual who had an improvement of greater than one kilogram. When you look at that in terms of responders and non-responders, the combination of the two of EMS and BFR and the EMS group alone both had 100% responders, while the isolated BFR group only had 60% of the group were responders and 30% in the control group. Why the EMS was not significant enough if you actually, and also the BFR, why the changes, although the group mean on the graph looks quite good, if you take into consideration the standard deviation, there's too much going on there. So that's why there was no significant change in terms of group mean. One thing I have found when I've read a lot about BFR is responders and non-responders. Therefore, you need to take that into consideration. Moving on to the second measurement of the quadriceps muscle mass, there were no differences between the groups at baseline. Once again, another really good start for the study. There was no significant difference in leg muscle size by group, although a trend, in other words, P was 0.07, was apparent for changed scores. What they did here is they went a little bit deeper and they used a cutoff point of greater than one gram increase in muscle mass to represent a responder. And this revealed that 70% in the combination group of both EMS and BFR qualified as responders, while 60% of the isolated EMS group responded. With respect to BFR and control group, that was quite low at 30 and 20% respectively. Therefore, when you look at the overall results here, their primary finding was that the combination of the BFR and low intensity EMS stimulus led to strength gains that were significantly improved from the non-trained control. One thing that they didn't observe was a real significant increase in muscle mass, and they thought that perhaps that they would have done that. With respect to the combined group, they experienced an absolute increase in quadriceps mass of 32 grams, yet this magnitude of muscle mass change appeared to be much lower than typical training modalities shown in other studies. 
their point in the discussion around the lack of increase in muscle mass in any intervention, and in particular the combination, I think when I read through it really revolved around intensity of the EMS stimulus. They reviewed a couple of other little papers out there and what was obvious was that they used high intensity EMS. Obviously in this study it was low intensity and a combination of BFR. Therefore when you and you when you read other papers on EMS they talk about using as higher intensity on the EMS as the athlete can absolutely tolerate. Therefore if you're going to use EMS and you want to get maximal changes you need to use high intensity. However, in this case, when you're looking at someone who's doing rehab and you can't tolerate high intensity, you can actually take solace knowing that you can use a lower intensity of the EMS and have the combination of BFR. One thing it actually doesn't go to, and this is the effect of contralateral strength training, which we know has benefit from one side to the other. I think taking that into consideration, which is more of, I guess, an applied or a real world application using contralateral strength training on the non-affected side in combination with, say, an EMS and a BFR. And I think that's probably a really good practical application and a further application of taking this study into what we do into real practice. Another point here was around responders and non-responders. And I think that was really good here. One point is that they focus on this in the discussion and they said that the percentage of participants in each group that responded to the stimuli offers some insight into the possible phenomenon of a physiological responders and non-responders, which may be consideration for use of this methodology with selecting training populations. I definitely know when I've read a lot of papers on BFR that there's actually some responders and non-responders and we have to take that into consideration. And I think that was really good that they were able to highlight this in the paper. And that's perhaps what gets lost when people just report group means or when they just put out a graph where they put the mean and the standard deviation. I quite like the graphs which show individual participants and you can actually start to highlight who responds and who doesn't. And in my experience, athletes respond better to intensity. When you're injured, of course, or coming back from an operation, intensity needs to be low. So you need to be smart with how you create the intensity. And obviously, this is one way of doing it in that initial phase where you could typically use BFR or if you're using BFR alone, you'd use it in that passive modality to attenuate muscle loss. But I think here, the addition of EMS to passive BFR, as shown by this study here, has much greater effect. Add another layer on top of that, which is contralateral strength training with or without BFR. Obviously, without BFR, you need intensity or you need high mechanical stress. I think you're going to have even a greater amplified response to the athlete's change in muscle strength and also potentially hypertrophy. Once again, this is kind of real N of one stuff. This is perhaps something that would be difficult to put into a study. You're really trying to start to combine lots of different modalities together. And I think that's where the craft of us as a coach becomes really important. This highlights another really useful combination of tools in our toolbox, combining EMS in that acute phase when we can't tolerate high intensity with BFR. Hope that was insightful for you. It really gives you another option to give to your athletes and clients. And if you have those tools available, I think it's worthwhile starting to investigate on how you can combine this for a more effective response to your client or athlete. Anyway, that's where I'm going to leave you today. I'm busy prepping for the ACA conference that's coming up with the debut of my new strength machine. And obviously with my cuffs, I've got my Brisbane BFR workshop. Hopefully I'll be getting some content soon of other users on how you do BFR. Hope you enjoyed this one. 
connect with me on socials at Chris Cavillio. And also, if you really like the podcast, I know I've had some really great comments. Give it a like, give it a rating on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. I'll see you next time.